electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Good Friday afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Power Lunch. Alongside Kelly Evans, I'm Tyler Madison. Coming up, a just right jobs number, uh, even though it came in a little bit short of the estimate market, saying it is enough to keep the economy out of recession and the Fed may be on the sidelines. The other bit of news boosting stocks today, strong earnings from Amazon, especially in the cloud business. We're going to dig in to those results. Kelly. Tyler, thanks. Checking the markets right now, the Dow's up 136, the S&P up 14. These are about a third of a percent, about half the uh, gains we saw a little bit earlier on, while the Nasdaq is hanging on to its two-thirds percent rise, and it has been leading the pack all day. As Tyler mentioned, check out Amazon, up 10 percent, nearly $150 billion in market cap added after its earnings report last night. It's also boosting other cloud stocks like Datadog and Snowflake, which are among them. Apple falling, though, after posting a sales decline for the third straight quarter. There you can see Apple share their Snowflake and Datadog, of course. Meanwhile, Apple down three and a half percent to just under 185. But let's get right to Bob Bassani with the question we posed off the top. Is this the perfect Goldilocks jobs report number? Bob, did it come in just where the markets wanted it to? It did. And the important thing is nobody's that worried about Apple down 3%. It's the jobs report. Uh, Bottom line is job growth is slowing down, but not too much. That's what Kelly means with Goldilocks. It was a fine needle to thread, but they really did it on this jobs report, 187,000 versus 200,000 expected. I want to show you the 10-year yield because that's what everybody's been watching. When the 10-year yield goes over 4%, the market flutters. It's happened several times this year. It happened again this week. With that moving down, it's still over 4%, but the trend is moving down, and that's a good sign, and the markets are much more stable on that. Leadership this week, well, it's been all over the place. Yes, Amazon's the number one leader because of the big move up today on the earnings, but we've had nice moves up in some of these industrial names. Eaton hit a new high this week on great earnings in Caterpillar, Ingersoll, Rand, Parker, Hannafin, all in the industrial groups. They've had a good week. Consumer staples fair this week. Not great, but Clorox had a great earnings report. That had a nice move up. That's been one of the big leadership groups. And if you had one great move up in a sector, it had to be energy this week. Oil at $83. We're near the highest levels for oil since November These exploration and production companies like APA have been on fire for the last month. So there's your big leadership group. Not so great in some subsectors of uh, technology. Cybersecurity is not having a great day. You see Fortinet down rather noticeably here. Uh, They had a rather uh, poor outlook there. They said the deals were being delayed due to macroeconomic uncertainty. So that's dragging down Palo Alto, CrowdStrike, and all these other names in the cybersecurity space. Speaking of earnings, uh, we are almost done. 85% or so through the earnings season, uh, 84% uh, reporting there, uh, 79% beating, a little higher than expected. Uh, than usual. The average beats almost eighty, uh, almost 8%. Again, that's a little higher than expected, but prices are high, so it's hard to move the companies forward, the prices, even on relatively good earnings news. What you want to look for, nobody's worried about the second quarter. Third and fourth quarter, what's the trend? Is earnings estimates going up or down? And here, it's good to say, earnings estimates are going, down, uh, going up. Remember, Kelly, guys, this is The bottom in the second quarter is supposed to be the bottom for earnings. They're supposed to be going up from here. So we want to see the trend moving up. And you see here, 
Analysts revise their numbers every week, all the time. 63% in the last few weeks have been revising their estimates upward, 37% down. The trend is up, and that is extremely supportive of the market. That, along with Goldilocks and the soft landing, is why the stock market continues to hold up so well. Guys, back to you. Bob Bazzani, thank you very much. We've got some breaking news now from J.P. Morgan and Steve Leisman has the story. Hi, Steve. Hey, Tyler. Yeah, just got J.P. Morgan's weekly economic report, and they are calling off their recession forecast for this year. They are crediting the quicker-than-expected resolution of the debt ceiling, as well as less impact from bank credit tightening uh, as a result of the Fed's program put in place. Now, they are saying recession risk is still elevated for next year, but what's happened is, and, and we reported on this Monday, I'll come back to that in a second, is they had to boost their GDP forecast for the third quarter. They went up from a half a point to two and a half percent, along with others. They do say, though, that Fed over tightening is the major risk to the economy. And I want to show you what we did, what we reported on Monday. Just to remind you, we came out with our CNBC rapid update showing a host of other folks had boosted that third quarter growth forecast from what was really an anemic forecast to one that's just around trend. And it's just the way the quarter has begun, especially now you've had um, the vehicle sales out. Mark Zandi's at 4%. Uh, so, so there you go, guys. It's hard to have a recession when you have uh, three quarters of the economy, that is three uh, separate quarters of the economy running around trend. Maybe next year, but as for J.P. Morgan, and I remember earlier this week, Bank of America also called off their recession call this so year. So I'm curious. Tyler. They've taken it off the table for this year, but they say the risk is elevated for next year. Is there any color as to why? Yeah. Or is it really just the, the effect of rising interest rates? I think it's time? the effect of rising interest rate, but they also single, signal out the idea of the Fed over-tightening relative to the economy and the inflation problem. All right. We shall see in the wake of today's jobs report what that might mean for over-tightening or under-tightening or whatever they might do at the Fed. Let's bring in Karen Kimbrough, LinkedIn chief economist. Also with us is Ron Insana, chief market strategist with Dynasty Financial Partners. He's also a CNBC contributor. Uh, Karen, why don't we pick up with where Steve left off? Are you concerned about the Fed over-tightening uh, particularly given what looks like a very sort of sweet uh, employment report and cluster of economic conditions. You know, there's no doubt that this was a good report overall. Um, it, it corresponded to a lot of the data that we see here at LinkedIn. Uh, but to answer your question, absolutely, there's been 500 plus basis points of tightening, and that's a lot to digest for the economy. So, like many economists, we're expecting, you know, that soft patch to hit much later this year or even earlier next year. So I think the risks are still there for the Fed um, as to whether or not they've done too much. But in the meantime, the labor market is very resilient, very strong from the way we look at it. And we're seeing, you know, even a glimmer of hope in some sectors. So, Ron, where do you come down on this idea of a possible recession or maybe the, the, that a recession doesn't occur until next year, if at all? Uh, and and what are the implications then for stocks? So I remember exactly a month ago on the last unemployment report, we talked about Goldilocks, the fact mm -hmm. that the economy was still growing, the, that jobs were being added at a reasonable pace, and wage inflation was coming down. And wage inflation is growing most at the bottom 10th percentile. So we see Kinda wage earners right where you want it. It's growing faster than prices are. So that's also something that you want. Um, so I, this seems like a reasonable environment. There are risks. I mean, next week, next year, I should say, $1.4 trillion of commercial real estate debt will come due that will have to be refinanced at higher rates. That could be problematic for certain banks, $270 billion of which is small and medium-sized banks 
you know, that they have that on their balance sheet. So I think that's where the risks may, may come in. The Fed overdoing it, obviously, is, as I suspect, that was David Kelly at J.P. Morgan who was making that forecast that Steve referenced, pushing off the recession into next year. I, that seems like a reasonable bet at this point, given that, the, that unless the Fed were to do something more than a quarter point and shock the system, we're kind of, you know, moving along nicely. Karen, can you give us some granularity on where strongest and weakest parts of the labor market? I mean, what are some of the indicators you guys look at or might have uh, proprietary access to? Yeah, absolutely. We're uh, so we spend a lot of time thinking about the rebalancing of the labor market. That's been a really important question because the more it's out of whack, the more likely you're going to get wage pressures. And what we're seeing is that the amount of jobs coming down, um, in the sense of that there are not as many open jobs available, that's come down by over 20 percent in the last year. At the same time, we're seeing job seekers much more active. They're applying to more jobs when they show up. So it was like a 30 percent increase in the intensity of job seeking. So that's kind of creating a more competitive labor market, which means we're going to get some downward probably pressure on wages uh, to continue, which is a good thing, I think, for the Fed. Uh, at the same time, we're also looking at just general labor market tightness and hiring trends. And the hiring trends are telling us that overall hiring is still coming down. People are still hiring at a slower pace than before. But there are pockets of hope. Believe it or not, the real estate sector, the construction sector, healthcare and hospitals, all these sectors are actually doing a little bit better than they were a few months ago. So there's some stabilization and maybe even hope of improvement, you know, further down the line. You know, Ron, equities have been moving up, chugging along all year and certainly in the past three months, certainly in the month of July. Uh, But that's not to say that there aren't uh, concerning signs out there. Um, Inflation is still a little higher than than people would like. Oil has gone up. There was a debt downgrade. China is still uh, an unknown. uh, And certainly there is a political season coming uh, that is going to be I would say destabilizing. <laughs> I uh, think maybe certainly emotionally. Uh, I, I don't know if it's necessarily yeah, going to have an impact it, on the market. It's going to be a wild yeah. year. It's going to be a wild yeah. year and, and two months. Um, what does that say about the market and its fragility? I'm not sure the market's as fragile as, as I mean, certainly in August and September, you always worry about market dips. And we've been up a lot so far this year. Yep. So, you know, as in any other move to the upside, a 10 percent correction is always a possibility. But, uh, Tyler, with respect to inflation, when you look at all the various readings, August is going to be a bad print, right? Because energy went up so much in the month of July, biggest monthly gain in over two years. Mm-hmm. But I brought this up and I, and I can't stand when institutions do this, but the New York Fed has the multivariant trend core PCE measure oh, of inflation. Oh, thank goodness they do. <laughs> it's under 3%. Mm-hmm. It's 2.94% as of two days ago. And so the, the, the trend of inflation, of underlying inflation, is receding, I think, faster than the Fed would admit, which is why the equity markets are doing better, why interest rates until recently were contained, until the debt downgrade. Uh, and China's exporting deflation. So they may not be growing as quickly, but they're also exporting less inflationary pressures around the world than they would have otherwise. And so I think that accrues in that benefit of equities. I don't know. You're not going to duplicate what we saw in the first half of the year, I don't think, by any measure. And again, a 10 percent correction, given the concentration that we've seen, 10 stocks account for 31 percent of the you S&P. You say it's a possibility? You think it's a probability? I'm possibility. Possibility. Uh, given, given how much the equity markets have surprised us this year, yeah. you don't want to put too high a probability. It's, 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 it's hard to get too bearish, and it's hard to get too bullish mm-hmm. at this stage in this mm-hmm. particular cycle. Karen, quick final question to you. What would you be watching? You know, we talk about the traditional jobs report. We watch temp jobs, revisions, things like that. What do you guys watch for signs that there might be you know, a sharper cooling in the labor market versus just kind of a, a persistent moderation? 
Yeah, the main, the main thing that we've been looking at really, whether or not there's going to be a sharper cooling, is looking to see whether um, we can start to see a little hope, a little glimmer of recovery in some of the sectors that were hardest hit. So thinking about tech, thinking about retail, which has been a bit sluggish as well in terms of hiring. So looking for some of these sectors to kind of come back. That's one thing. And the second thing is looking to see how broad-based is that return of job seekers to the market? Are they coming back? And, and we're starting to see that broaden out. And to me, that would tell me the labor market's cooling even faster than we thought. Yeah. All right, Karen Kimbrough, thank you very much. Ron and Sana, great as always to see you. Have thank a good you. weekend, Too. folks. And let's go out to Rick Santelli in Chicago. Rick, this morning we hit 4.2%. And man, what a different picture it's now. Yes, remember the last several days I've been highlighting the areas to pay attention to in 10s and 30s. We'll get to that in a minute. What I'd like to talk about is today's non-farm payroll, 187,000. Let's throw up the chart. That's the lowest level of job creation since DESA 2020. Let's just think about what's been in between there. We started out this year in January with 472,000. Last February, we had 904,000. Job growth is slowing. What was the effect? Well, look at a two-year note intraday. It dropped like a rock. It's been dropping like a rock or holding steady all week. Let's look at a one-week chart. Right now where it stands at 480, we're down eight on the day and eight on the week. On a week where the long-dated treasuries, look at the next chart, looks a little bit different, doesn't it? The last one was red. This one's green because we're still up on the week, but we cut that in half. Right now, at 4.06, we're down a dozen on the day. We're up about a dozen on the week, but we were up double that earlier. The markets have definitely moved lower. Is it because the report was that cold? It really wasn't that cold. Look at wages. Look at the, what's going on with the labor force participation rate. However, fear. Many thought that after ADP was stronger, they were going to see a much stronger report than they did. But here's the key. This chart goes back to September. On September, October 24th, both 10s and 30s had their high yield close. It was four and a quarter for 10s. It was 4.38 for 30s. You remember what happened when we didn't close above 5.07 in twos when we had the chance? They hit the stuffing out of the market. This is a technical failure thus far not to close above those levels. If we close below 3.85 before we close above four and a quarter in 10s, it'll definitely be game, set, match. In my opinion, Tyler, back to you. Rick, have a great weekend. Thank you. And coming up, Wall Street had some big worries about Apple and Amazon, but the reports are keeping the bears at bay. We'll break it down in today's tech check. Plus, work from home in the office. Google offering an on-campus hotel special to lure workers back to the office. Those details when Power Lunch returns. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support, anytime. 
You don't have to hide how you feel. Welcome back to Power Lunch, everybody. Stocks higher today, the Nasdaq gaining a full percent, and that's despite a drop in Apple following its results reported yesterday. The company reporting a drop in sales now for the third consecutive quarter. Hasn't done that in a long time. Let's bring in Steve Kovac for a look at what's happening at Apple. Steve. Yeah, Tyler, Apple shares sagging even lower just this hour, actually, after the company guided to another quarter of falling sales. Now, even though Apple said to expect iPhone and services revenue to grow more in the September quarter, it also said a steep drop in Mac and iPad sales won't be enough to bring the company back to top line growth. That would mean a full fiscal year of down sales for Apple. Now, I asked CEO Tim Cook yesterday about the demand picture for iPhone since we're expecting new models just next month. He told me, quote, if you look at the U.S., the acceleration is good. The acceleration that we saw, we're glad that it accelerated. But the smartphone industry is tough in the U.S. right now. So even though foreign exchange rates are improving and services are growing again, hardware demand remains the biggest headwind for Apple going into the back half of the year. And speaking of services, that's the most promising piece of these results. Cook telling me advertising and spending in the app store is starting to return. Plus, Apple has reached a billion subscriptions through the App Store, and it gets a cut out of each of those subscriptions. And of course, we got to talk about AI, Apple playing a different role there than what we would see out of Microsoft and Google and all those others. Cook telling me the new iPhone software features coming this fall will leverage AI, and it helps make new products like the Apple Vision Pro, Tyler. Very interesting. So AI, I mean, I guess I'm not surprised because Apple is fundamentally an equipment, a gear company. I I mean, it's not that it's not a software company, but the others that are the big players in that area, like Microsoft and Google, strike me more as software companies. Yeah, and that's right. And that's been the thing about Apple all along. I mean, from its founding, it's been a hardware company. And you could easily argue its weakness has been on the software and services side. But look, everything you do on an Apple product is in some way kind of powered or informed by AI. I'll give you like a very good example of this. They're going to have this new feature in the iPhone software coming up where you can uh, record snippets of your voice and then it can talk back in your full voice. This is an accessibility feature, but it is powered by a lot of the same or similar AI technology that we've been seeing from the other uh, big tech peers. Tyler. Steve, thank you very much. Steve Kovac, appreciate it. The other big earnings out last night, of course, Amazon. And that stock absolutely jumping today. Deirdre Bosa has more in tech check. I loved reading the trader notes on this, Deirdre, because they were like, you know, cloud is bottomed and margins. Wow. What I mean, there was just so. And then they said, hey, this is now as tradable as Meta and some of the other, uh, you know, former Fang components. You know, Kelly, that hits the nail on the head. This is Amazon's time to shine. I want to show you where we're coming from. Take a look at the last one year of the mega caps. And you will see that Amazon has been a serial underperformer. Go back even further than that five years. And Amazon, it is that white line. It has underperformed because it has put so much money into doubling its network capacity, its logistics footprint. 
That has really hurt profitability over the last years, but this quarter, everything came together. Efficiency, it's now delivering faster than ever. And to boot, AWS growth rate has stabilized, which is what investors really wanted to hear. So the core e-commerce, more efficient, better margins there. The profit machine, AWS stabilizing. So it's kind of a perfect storm, which is why you are seeing shares gain so much. And you know, it's not surprising that maybe you're seeing Wall Street analysts ask, is this gonna be the outperformer over the next few months? Because it has lost ground over the last year and five years. Um, so Kelly, a lot to pick through there too. Advertising, $10 billion, so that continues to be you know, a much smaller, but another high margin, high growth business for the company on top of AWS. So me, I don't want to say flip side, but I was looking at Open Door. A tough day for the stock, which is only you know, a couple dollar stock at this point. What's going on there? Okay, so Open Door, was a huge pandemic winner. As most of our audience knows, the stock once traded at nearly $40 a share, but even with a more than 200, at 1.300% point gain this year, it is well off those highs. And look at it, it's under four bucks. At the heart of that longer term decline are questions about the iBuying model, one that lets homeowners sell their homes directly online and very quickly. In a seller's market, like the one we are in right now where inventory is low and supply is tight, Home buyers, they could be leaving table on the money, money on the table, excuse me, if they go with the iBuying model. So in her first broadcast interview since becoming Open Door CEO, Carrie Wheeler told me that they only need a slice of sellers. This is a $2 trillion market, 99% offline. That is our competitive set. We need a slightly bigger slice of what is an enormous pie. Today, our TAM within that housing market is $650 billion. Uh, we are across 53 markets with less than 1% share. So again, we we don't need all sellers. We'd love them to get them someday. We don't need all sellers. We need it. We need some of them to okay. uh, be, be available to take our offer. And I think there's no shortage of seller demand in what we see. So that Tam she cited six hundred and fifty billion dollars. Um, maybe investors saw a closer horizon to get there a few years ago. It does feel like it's gonna take longer, especially in the kind of market we're seeing right now, a seller's market. But she said that housing is the last big sector that is yet to be disrupted by the internet. Certainly, that's the case when you look across PropTech. All right, thank you very much, Deirdre Bosa. A judge making a ruling in the government's case against Google. Let's go to Eamon Javers to explain what's happening, Eamon. Hey there, Kelly. A big win for Google here just coming in in court. This is the 60-page memorandum opinion that just crossed the wire here. Uh, what it is is an opinion in the ongoing Department of Justice case against Google. Uh, and the, the ruling here is that some of the claims that the government was making are going to have to be thrown out, right? So that's going to limit uh, some of the exposure here that Google faces when this case goes to trial. And ultimately, just got off the phone with some folks over at Google. Uh, they believe that ultimately what's going to happen here is that the, the scale of what the government can do, if there's an adverse ruling against them, uh, will be a lot smaller here as a result of this opinion in court today. We'll wait and see uh, what all the other players in the case uh, have to say about it. It's a very complicated ruling, as you can imagine, 60 pages of antitrust uh, legal jargon here for us to sort through, but uh, being viewed right now as a win for Google and limiting the exposure that they might face at trial. Not Guys, to put you on the wrong foot, but is there any one particular thing that was thrown out that is that stands out to you as a biggie? 
Yeah, one of the issues here was whether or not Google's uh, positioning of search results had an adverse market impact on people in the marketplace, right? Uh, and if you can't prove that, then you can't say that Google's doing anything wrong here ultimately or that it has any real antitrust impact in, to the consumer out there in the world. Uh, the folks at Google feel like that was the key win here for them uh, is that the court ultimately sided with their view of the world, which is that any ranking or prioritization that they're doing uh, in those so search results doesn't have a real world market dollars and cents impact on consumers. And so therefore, mm -hmm. any ruling that the government makes uh, or that the court makes at the end of this won't really go to that search prioritization issue. So they won't have to change the way they do search at the end of this case, even if the case goes against them. That's my understanding. And it's relatively limited, Tyler. So All I'm right. going to leave it there. Amen. Thanks. Up next, reaching a boiling point. The U.N. chief saying we've entered the era of global boiling, not to oversell it. The extreme heat placing a new focus on water stocks, with the S&P Global Water ETF actually hitting some new highs in recent weeks. We'll break down the moves for you next. At the UPS store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, July, the officially now the hottest month on record, and as temperatures worldwide soar, more focus is being placed on water scarcity, and Pippa Stevens joins us with more. I guess water, water is the ultimate commodity. Yeah, that's true, and record temperatures and drought often go hand in hand, and with worldwide water demand growing, scarcity concerns are on the rise. That's leading to more interest in companies that update water infrastructure and make operations more efficient. Three funds that track the space, the PHO, FIW, and CGW, all hitting new 52-week highs in the last week. Now, here in the U.S., there's a water main break every two minutes, Whoa. leading to 6 billion gallons of treated water lost each day. That's enough to fill more than 9,000 swimming pools. Overhauling pipeline systems is a massive undertaking, and the gap between what's needed and what's been spent is forecast to reach more than $400 billion by the end of this decade. Now, on a stock-specific level, there are lots of different types of companies involved in this space. You've got the utilities like American Water Works and California Water Service. Companies like Xylem and Franklin Electric make pumps, sensors, and other equipment for water systems. While Badger Meter and ITRON specialize in metering and software technology, this is both a consumer and business story, since businesses, all industry, also requires water. Where is there much appetite in municipalities, states, uh, to do the kind of infrastructure repair, or is there the money? to do the infrastructure repair that you just mentioned, $400 billion worth? Well, in many places, there is not that money. And, you know, they are raising rates, but a lot of the time it's uh, where we most need to have more spending is in disadvantaged communities, so that can be a challenge. And, of course, there are a lot of these industries are highly regulated, so you can't just raise rates overnight to a big degree. But, you know, these systems were, some of them were built decades ago, and they also were years ago. Yeah, exactly. Case. And yeah. they weren't made for the changing climate conditions, so we, they're subject to things like flooding. And so that's why there's so much focus on efficiency. It's identifying where is the leak happening, mm -hmm. how can we make it so that we can conserve more, preserve more, and then recycle more so that we aren't tapping into the resources. 
resources and, and as no, much. no one anticipate I'm not I'm saying no one but m many people did not anticipate the population growth that has happened in for example the southwest southern california fed by the colorado river which has been dramatically affected by drought exactly and we have all those new chip factories opening up in places like arizona True. and so there's a lot of move down south and yeah those are the the areas that are most at risk of water shortages and a lot of need for water pippa thanks Let's turn to the markets now. We saw them peak around 1 p.m. Eastern time, but those gains, which for the Dow was as much of two-thirds as 1%, have slowly evaporated, and we've now turned negative. Dow's down 38 points. And take a quick look at Apple. As our Bob Bassani points out, this one, a bit of a tell for the whole market. We don't want to blame Apple and say it's all their fault, but the shares are down 4% now to $183 after nearing 200 uh, in the last week or so prior to last night's earnings report. Meantime, let's get to Contessa Brewer for the CNBC News update. Contessa? Kelly, thank you. Chris Christie made a surprise visit to Ukraine today, which makes him the second Republican presidential candidate to travel there during the Russian invasion. The former New Jersey governor met with President Volodymyr Zelensky in Kyiv. Christie says he wanted a firsthand look at the war and reiterated his support for the country. In June, Mike Pence also visited Ukraine and met with Zelensky. Niger's ousted president says he's a hostage and he's calling on the United States to rescue his country after its democratically elected government was taken over during a coup last week. The military group that seized control isn't backing down. It's uh, seeing demands, though, from a block of West African leaders who've given that group until this weekend to reinstate the president. And 115,000 people are descending on Chicago this weekend. Lollapalooza Music Festival. This one could be the largest ever. The city is permitting an additional 15,000 people to attend in exchange for keeping the festival in the city for another decade, according to reporting from the Chicago Tribune. I was just looking. You've got Billie Eilish, Kendrick Lamar, Red Hot Chili Peppers, and a long wait list, Kelly. So if you didn't already get your tickets... No, Probably too late. I'm not a not a music festival person. No, it's it's, it's hard for me to navigate. It's loud, you know. I sound like such a grouch, but uh, they can, I'm, there are plenty of other people would take my my seat happily. I think that's true. In my, in my ticket, yeah. Contessa, thanks. Sure. Still ahead on Power Lunch, help wanted for now. The next era of automation is about to arrive, but first, companies need workers to build the robots who will eventually replace them. Details when Power Lunch returns. All right, let's go to Kate Rooney now for a market flash on shares of Carl Icahn's Icon Enterprises. Hi, Kate. Hi, Tyler. Icon Enterprises down more than 20% after slashing its quarterly dividend in half to a dollar. Also reported a surprise quarterly loss and revenue that missed estimates. In a statement, billionaire chairman and founder Carl Icahn says the second quarter partially reflected the impact of short selling on companies we control or invest in which I attribute to the misleading and self-serving Hindenburg report concerning our company. It also reflected the size of the hedge book relative to our activist strategy. Hindenburg first sounded the alarm about Icon's investing arm back in May, saying that IEP used, quote, Ponzi-like structures to pay dividends and accounting techniques to inflate the value of their assets. Icon has firmly denied that. He says the firm now plans to, quote, stick to their knitting, of corporate activism, Icon's bet that the market would collapse this year has been a losing one. Back to you. All right, Kate, thank you very much. Kate Rooney. 
Meantime, the return to office fight is raging on. Companies are trying everything to get workers back in person. Some are using force, others are using flattery. Google is trying something totally new, bringing home to the office with a hotel offer. CNBC.com tech reporter Jen Elias is here to discuss. Jen, what are the details of this? Yeah, Kelly, that's right. Uh, Google is hoping to bring employees back to the office, and one way is through its on-campus hotel, which it first opened last year. So what they're hoping with this is a, offering a summer special for employees to stay in a room uh, for $99 a night in Mountain View near their headquarters. And uh, really, they're just hoping that this kind of helps employees transition to hybrid work and they're doing it because they have been trying to be more strict in asking employees to come to the office. But as you know, sometimes these companies have to walk the tightrope and try to flatter employees, try to remain flexible, um, but also, you know, are trying to get employees back into the office, especially during this time where what? there's this incredible AI arms race. I don't understand what the hotel is doing to attract people to work. Is it people who literally live in a different state and in order to come into the office need a cheap place to crash? I don't understand what the what the perk is. Right. Google and a lot of Google employees moved out of the area during the pandemic. And part of that is increasingly high housing costs, um, especially in Mountain View, where the housing supply shortage is even even greater. So, uh, you know, it's it's been a work in progress of the company trying to get employees to move back and cracking down, even asking, you know, approved remote workers to come back and consider reversing that. Um, so for employees, they say that this offers them, uh, you know, a room to stay a little cheaper than what another room they could get at some other hotel in Mountain View. Uh, but so far, some employees also don't seem very convinced that it's a good deal. Do, do we know what the uptake has been, number one? And I assume Google is the owner of this hotel? Yes, Google's the owner. It's it's smack dab on their campus. It's specifically for partners and full-time employees. But no, they haven't shared with us what, you know, what the take has been or what the occupancy rate is. All right. I guess if you're charging basically 100 a night, if you stayed there 20 nights a month, that's $2,000, probably beats rent. Uh, in some of the more expensive areas of Silicon Valley. Jen Elias, thanks. Appreciate it. Sure. All right, coming up, help wanted. As AI and automation continue to rise, will robots take our jobs or help create new ones? Only time will tell, of course, but in the meantime, someone needs to build the robots. We're going to hear from some robotics companies in need of human help for now. Power Lunch will be right back. Welcome back, everybody. With AI and automation on the rise, an age-old question is back on the table. Will robots take our jobs or create new ones? Maybe a bit of both, of course. Kate Rogers here to explain. Hi, Kate. Hey, Tyler, we're here at Zipline in South San Francisco. The company uses robots to change the way deliveries are made to make them both faster and more environmentally friendly. Now, here at their manufacturing facility, workers are working on parts uh, for their autonomous delivery drones, which have been used to deliver vaccines to hospitals and also e-commerce deliveries, big companies like Walmart. Zipline is looking for 100 workers right now in robotics roles, from electrical engineers to data logging to customer application. Its CEO says that technology enables a better paying, safer job for the future. Before we were using a human to do one delivery at a time, driving a car one at a time to go and make deliveries. Now we're training that human to maintain and manage a fleet of robots so that human can now do 50 deliveries in an hour rather than five. 
And that enables us to pay that human a lot more. These are jobs that people actually really want. Now, automation advocates say robots and automation can help remove more menial tasks from some jobs to make workers more productive instead of replacing them altogether while keeping companies competitive. Jobs are available in engineering roles, programming, helping to integrate AI into these robots, even maintaining them once they're being used at companies all over the world. Guys, back over to you. So how do these zip lines work, the drones? <laughs> I'll do my best to explain it, Tyler. Yes, via drone. So this uh, is the basket where the package would be housed. These are the original zips. A delivery is being made in one of these. The company says every 90 seconds all around the world, this would be launched from one of their launch pads. The package would live in here. It would drop via parachute. This would then return back to its nest. I want to show you something else, though. This is the P2. This is the next generation delivery droid, which is going to be out next year. Companies like Sweetgreen are going to be using this. They say it can cover a 10-mile delivery in 10 minutes or less and most importantly they say the cost is about equal for what you're paying for a salad to be delivered today guys that, that, that's what's going to be my question i mean there's a lot of technology and engineering here and these devices clearly look like they are not exactly cheap uh how how, how mm -hmm. is it likely to raise the cost of a of an item i buy if at all <clears throat> Well, the company, Tyler, is private, so they're not releasing all of that cost data right now. But again, for this next generation droid that's going to be used next year, they told me the cost for a salad delivery would be comparable to what you're paying for delivery well, today. Right. Kate, real quickly, I see one person working behind you. How, how many people are actually involved in building <laughs> these things? Uh, Kelly, great question. I'm not sure how many people go into creating actually one of these products, but they are hiring again for 100 roles. There actually are quite a few people here, but just one behind me on the floor right now. All but right. again, uh, a lot of manpower goes into making these, say, operating them. And remember the logistics and design all in-house here too. So there's a lot of opportunity outside of just the fabrication part. Yeah, no, obviously it's ironic to be manufacturing your own demise, but even then it shows how the modern factory has become so uh, labor efficient, shall we say. Kate, thank you very much. We appreciate it. That's right. Kate Rogers reporting. Thanks. Coming up, traveling, gambling, paying, shares of booking holdings, DraftKings and Block are all moving on their results as this market turns lower, Dow's down 100 points. Three Stock Lunch is next on the other side of this break. Welcome back, everybody, and it's time for Three Stock Lunch. We're going to look at three big movers today. Uh, with our trades, we turn to Malcolm Etheridge. He's CIC Wealth Executive Vice President and a CNBC contributor. Malcolm, welcome. And we'll start with DraftKings, up about 2.5%. The stock was a beat and raise on results. Uh, how do you feel about uh, being an owner of this one? Yeah, I consider that one a buy. I don't own it personally, uh, maybe just yet, but coming off a strong Q2 earnings report, where they not only beat expectations, but also uh, raise guidance for the remainder of the year. And who doesn't love a beat in the race? Plus, they're heading into football season, which I know is prime time for their business model, right? And it's when they tend to see bigger bets and higher with higher profit margins. So I think if they can finally make this the last year of losing money and finally turn a profit heading into 2024, uh, DraftKings might actually have something here. Stock up nearly 3% right now. Up next, Booking Holdings, the stock making big gains after a robust second quarter results. The CEO telling CNBC the company sees no signs of travel demand slowing. So, Malcolm, what do you think? Yeah, I consider this one a hold. I saw Glenn Fogel on the network this morning uh, touting the blowout earnings quarter they just had. And in fact, on the call, uh, they said it was a record-breaking quarter. But my concern is uh, the mixed picture we've been getting from the airlines as far as international versus domestic travel. Plus, I think the excitement is going to fizzle out in the back half of the year as the consumer runs out of firepower.
right? And a willingness to spend at all costs like they have been. And so we've already started to see some of that happen in retail and dining numbers coming out of Q2 earnings. I expect travel to also be on that same list. Ooh, okay. Let's turn to Block then, where we see, you know, talk about pressure. They're down more than 12%, even after they reported pretty strong quarterly results. What do you think is going on? Would you be a buyer here? I'm with the crowd. I consider this one a sell. Uh, Hmm. Despite the strong Q2 earnings it just posted, I think it's easy to just look at the sell-off that happened and say, you know, PayPal reported, and so they're just a victim by association. But I think the guidance they gave for the rest of the year uh, doesn't sound as good as the first half, and that shouldn't bode well for uh, uh, block shares going forward either. They still have to address their shrinking margins, which won't be easy to do since their customer acquisition costs, they still haven't been able to get those under control. I know that they had good numbers and increase in subscribers for Cash App, but at what cost? And so uh, admittedly, I'm not all that constructive on the payments names altogether, but this is one that I I just, it would be at the bottom of my list if I was going to buy into that sector. Would that extend to Square then? You know, as you mentioned, you're kind of concerned about the whole area. I'm, I'm concerned about PayPal. I'm concerned about Square slash Block or whatever, you know, whatever we'll call them later. Uh, and I think the ecosystem in general, the acquisition cost for that next customer who doesn't already know about these services is just way too high uh, to be constructive on the space and decide that now is the time to put new capital to work in that sector. We're looking at the Dow turning negative by 75 points now. Uh, what is your overall view of the market uh, today in light of a week where we've seen uh, U.S. debt downgraded and, and uh, on the other hand, a very um, sort of Goldilocks-ish jobs report. Yeah, I think coming out of uh, Apple's earnings yesterday, we got about what we expected to get. They didn't have the best guidance. They didn't have the best revenue numbers. And the market is responding in line with what Apple's share price is doing simply because they reflect so much of the market and say a lot about what they expect consumer strength to be. Yeah. All right, Malcolm, thanks very much. We'll leave it there for now. We really appreciate it. And this quick programming note, don't miss our CNBC special, Taking Stock. Mike Santoli and Josh Brown will break down all the day's big stories in a way only they can. Uh, That's at 6 p.m. Eastern tonight. Don't miss it. We will be right back. Uh, We've got about four minutes left in the program, a bunch more stories uh, we'd like to share with you right now. So let's get right to it. Alphabet. Pairing back large positions, who knew, and multiple publicly traded firms, including 90% of its stake in Robinhood, the trading platform. This according to SEC filings. Alphabet also trimmed positions in 23andMe and Duolingo. It sold 4.3 million shares of Robinhood in the period ending uh, June 30th, but still holds more than 600,000 shares. Now, Robinhood has struggled since its 2021 IPO, but did turn its first ever profit in its latest quarter. Uh, but I guess um, I guess uh, Google or Alphabet uh, saying we don't want to be quite as exposed to other stocks as I think these moves the make a lot of sense in bull markets, you know, bull IPO markets uh, to have sort of this portfolio of holdings. But they get tough when the markets turn and investors probably want them to streamline. I think Uber had a bunch of these that helped their their results recently as well. So I don't know if we'll see quite as much of this going forward. Meantime, Huawei is plotting its smartphone revival in China with a new mobile operating system and enhanced AI assistance. 
assistant. The embattled telecom name still struggling after those American restrictions cut them off from Google's Android operating system. Um, I guess if it works in their home market, that's a pretty big uh, market to take. It's a pretty big market to work in. And uh, it's one of the top three, maybe. I don't know where where it fits in terms of overall sales globally, but uh, their system, Android and uh, Apple, of course, the the big ones there. Rough day for some of the EV makers. Nikola, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Like yes. Ricola, like the, like the <laughs> cough drops. I don't know. Falling sharply, lost more money la- uh, than last year. Sales were lower than last year. The CEO stepping down. Fisker also lower after missing on sales and production targets. Uh, not a good day for Nikola, uh, down 16 percent. Fisker also down about 6 percent in I don't know whether you can say a shakeout is coming in the EV market, but it certainly feels as though uh, the dominant companies are going to be Tesla and some of the legacy automakers, whether it's Kia, Hyundai, uh, Audi, VW, and so forth. I mean, it's massively capital intensive, and Tesla built its business during a decade of very low interest rates. And it still almost went bankrupt several times. So with the financing being the way that it is right now, it's going to be tough for these companies to overcome that uh, bogey. Meantime, large swaths of South America are now experiencing an unprecedented heat wave, much like the U.S. and Europe earlier. The difference is it's wintertime now down there. It should be relatively cold, but parts of Brazil are expected to top 100 degrees in the coming days. Similar temps in Argentina, Chile, Paraguay. Experts say it's thanks to global warming and El Nino. It's really amazing. I mean, we just reported earlier that this was the July was the warmest month on record. I believe sea temperatures are the warmest they have ever been measured uh, as you, if you average them across everything. So the planet does seem to be getting hotter. Yeah. All righty, NFL superstar Aaron Rodgers embracing his new role with the New York Jets. He was—he got a lot of airtime last night on that preseason game. Oh yeah, it was He didn't play, but there he was. Uh, you know, uh, he was talking. They interviewed him and so forth. Uh, Mike Tirico and and Chris Collinsworth uh, making himself at home in the Garden State. Welcome to the Garden State, Mr. Rogers. According to the New York Post, the quarterback recently purchased an eight-bedroom, ten-bath home. Uh, in Montclair, New Jersey. Ah, I, We're in that area. Someone else Really I know. the area for $9.5 million. I know some people uh, The new build uh, reportedly sits on two acres of land and features more than 4,000 square feet of living space. It also has skyline views of New York City, through, though he'll be playing, of course, his football games on the other side of the river at MetLife Stadium. Uh, the view from his house also includes MetLife Stadium, may I say. Well, just saying. Uh, all I'm saying is we, we welcome him. We are happy to have him. We hope he can pull this off. There is no small amount of pressure on this man. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks for watching. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm OK. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call. Text or chat 988 for free confidential support anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel.